Some cults are good, most cults are bad, but I'll tell you what really makes me sad. I can't decide which cult to join. If only there were a podcast out there to rank all the cults using some sort of bracket system like they do for basketball playoffs for college teams. It's madness, madness. Welcome back, Lifestylers. It is March Madness here at Madness Madness. And here in Oklahoma, it's March, which means it was 81 degrees today, and it's going to be 40 tomorrow. (laughs) This last week was the first Wednesday in a few weeks that it hasn't snowed or iced. Snow or ice. It's all right. I had to go to work all damn week. What the hell is that? You know, a couple weeks ago on Friday, I was forced to go back to work, Uh um, and it was so slippery. It took me ages, and then... And you don't live that far from your I, I don't live that far away from work. And then on um, Monday, when I went back to work, it was like 70 degrees. Right. It's like, now I'm hot. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, the ice is still on the sidewalks. No, it's true. Yeah, it's like the backyard had melted. My backyard had melted, but my front r- yard was still slippery. Mm. It was like, man, this is screwed up. Whatever. It's totes nice. It's totes nice. And we're back after a few weeks off. We're back after a few weeks off. We've we been some having shit great to take times, care of. doing things, getting done. Um, this week and next week, we are doing sort of a grab bag. Wild card. Potpourri. Potpourri episodes. Episodes, because... Yes. We're, it's kind of season four. It is season four. This is season maybe, four. Maybe this is like a season three epilogue or this something. This is a season oh. three epilogue. It's a few like summer. It's like summer. And uh, you get like a special. Exactly. That's right. Ow. Summer season. It's the summer season. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't know. I just kind of like, you know, things are bummerish these days. And the doing cults. Even the most lighthearted of them, mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, this is... I don't need to be more bummer. This is too, bu- this is too much bummering. Yeah. The human so, cost is too high. The human yeah, cost so is too high. We're tossing some ideas around. So we're tossing some ideas around and we're doing some fun stuff because Amanda and I and Brian, we're more than just cults, you know? Oh, we are more than just cults. We know all kinds of fucking things. We oh, know man. all kinds of things and like history and weirdness is just packed with interesting stuff. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, it. you really don't have to look far you at all. You don't have no. to look far to find a, like, what the hell kind of story. Right. <laughs> and we're going to bring a couple of those to you this week. We are. Uh, we also have some mail. I'm going to start off. First of all, email. Email. We've been gone a few weeks, so we want to say hello to all of our pals. Debbie, our super South African super fan, Debbie. Faith and family. Faith and, team Faith and family. I'm still got my eye on you, Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, Isle of Man, I have a special shout out to you later in my episode. Oh my this God. my part of the episode for sure. I don't know if it's rude or not. So. It's not. It's totally not. But we have a fantastic email from a new best friend named Jen. And her email is entitled Longtime Listener, First Time Caller. Brilliant. Perfect. Dear Aaron, Amanda, and Brian, I have been meaning to write to y'all for months and months to tell you how much I like, how much your podcast means to me. But I've been putting it off because how can I convey my gratitude without sounding like a stalker or a weird antisocial doofus? You are not a stalker because a stalker would come to our house to tell us. Also, or you would send an email that's like, asked about our panties. (laughs) Also true. Or be like, as I was looking in your window last night, (laughs) I noticed that you got a new stove, Amanda. (laughs) 
it's totally awesome. <laughs> she did get a new stove. It's nice. Right. And a weird antisocial doofus, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like, would you like to hear a story about the 1700s? Because I got a few. <laughs> Precisely. How much do you know about the men who played bass for Tom <laughs> Petty and the Heartbreakers? See? Weird antisocial doofuses, gather here. Gather here. Ron Blair just couldn't take touring anymore. <laughs> a special upcoming episode <laughs> Brian talks about Tom Petty. Hey, I'm down. <laughs> I know, right? We should have a whole episode where Brian talks about Tom, Tom Petty. Petty. That's excellent. The cult of Tom Petty. <laughs> <laughs> I remember back, because I'm old, and so I remember before YouTube and shit, and I remember... Well, I rem- like, I know, you're not that old. I'm not that, was that like 2004. old. 2004. <laughs> I'm being lighthearted. <laughs> uh, but I'm just saying that I remember watching the uh, Don't Come Around Here No More video, uh-huh. which I love because I also love Alice in Wonderland. It's like nothing to do with Tom Petty, all to do with Alice oh, in Wonderland. Like, he's good too, but at that time I was just like, look at this amazing Alice shit. And then uh, it goes, then it like finished and I'm just thinking, I'll probably never see that again. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way. Of, oh, now, now I can watch it like 12 times if I want. It's like, we could just spend the rest of the night watching that. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, Back to Jen. Uh, it's been a, I don't know. I haven't figured it out. So I guess it sounds like it sounds and insert a teaser here. The end of this letter is gossip. We will, we will not gossip on this program. No. It says it's been a hard year for me and your podcast have been a ray of sunshine. And I feel like we've become friends from how much I've listened and laughed and learned about cults with you. You are our friend. You are our friend. You guys are all our friends. You're all our friends. If you listen to us and we don't know anything about you, the fact that you show up, we love you. It's been a comfort. I love cults and gurus, and I'm a history nerd. So Yay. you had me at hello. She also does amazing things. I am a homicide court companion. I show up to be with the families who've lost loved ones to homicides during pleas and jury trials. God, that's fucking like I know. That's amazing. That's like service in the truest sense of the word. Yes, like and I don't even like do that much. True, meaningful. It's like you should volunteer at a fucking soup kitchen to feel better. It's like yes, you that did. That, yeah, that, yes, that will help you feel better. But mm-hmm. like g- giving yourself to service, yes, does feel really good, even though it's sad and unrewarding uh, right and right you have to make it your own miserable and, and you have to make it and, and what you're doing is a fucking awesome yes and she also says i facilitate restorative justice cases which gives me some semblance Ooh. of hope for a justice system i'm glad you have that because i do not yeah so well perhaps if we were working on the inside we, we would, would feel more. differently feel hopeful so mm-hmm. good for you jen yay and then i'm skipping it menopause is not helping can you relate where was the warning label yes Oh, yes. I've started the multiple hot flashes. I also have, um, when I was pregnant, I had a pretty deep... Amanda was a geriatric mother at I, 42. It said elderly. 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 Elderly on my paperwork. Right. I was 41 <laughs> when my child was born, but all it said elderly. <laughs> and I'd heard That's about... so mean. I know. And it's, it wasn't... Advanced maternal age makes sense because I was it, older. Yes, it is legit. Yeah. It is a real oh, yeah. thing. Yes, but elderly. Elderly. <laughs> elderly. It's just so really? That's right. Well, we had to help her off of her potty. I don't know. Like Halle Berry had a baby at 50. Did her paperwork say <laughs> elderly? I bet it did. Yeah, yeah. it probably did. <laughs> Halle Berry was like, strike this. That's right. I, did. I will not accept this. But, um, well, Aaron, when you were pregnant, you were barfy the whole time. Oh yeah, I, I was I was 29 when I was pregnant. Not elderly. I was not elderly, but um, I. It did say pushing it on your tag. It did. <laughs> no, that was just push it by Salt and Pepper. Oh, yeah. I assisted. Right. That was my oh, delivery mean, room music. You Thanks. Your, baby, your doulas. Baby. <laughs> oh baby, baby. Oh baby, baby. 
I almost said me love you long time, but that's, that's not a it. Different yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I was I was twenty nine when I was pregnant, and I puked the whole time, and I lost weight, and uh, yeah. And I honestly think that that added a lot to why I didn't want to have another Any baby. Mother? You're like, what if this happens again? I know. Yeah. It was just it was not a a comfortable pregnancy. No. Well, I didn't have any of that, but when I got to, to the last trimester, I got something which I didn't know existed, which is pregnancy-related carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, oh, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, I had never heard about that until I was like, why are my hands numb? I can't drive. I can no longer ah. drive. Well, guess what? Apparently, it's a hormonal, pregnancy-related carpal tunnel is hormonally related. Guess what comes back when you have menopause? No! My fucking carpal oh tunnel is coming back. Serious? It hurts. My hands hurt at night, and they were, like, dumb and tingling. Dude, that's to super bullshit. Today. It's, like, all the shit that happened to you in puberty and all the shit that happened to you in, when, when you you're pregnant, pregnant which is back. all the same and just related. So, like, I have a Maybe. zit and carpal tunnel, and I'm just like, come on. Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe but. whenever I go through menopause, I'm just going to be like... <laughs> Bring me more goldfish crackers. you <laughs> like constantly puking. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Crackers. My hair is so great. So, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I remember I would, uh, I would call Aaron at work. Uh, I worked at the public library at the time. Yeah, yeah and uh, her, <laughs> her friend at work sometimes would answer and like, like be like, hi, is Aaron there? And like, um, I think she's throwing up right now. <laughs> I'll have her call you back. I was. Thanks. A couple of times I was late to story time because I was throwing up and I never felt so much acceptance like going into the room yeah. with all the moms and their babies. I was like, sorry, I was puking. And they're like, it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's, it's fine. fine. It's fine. <laughs> Right. Okay. Back so, to Jen. Uh, Jen it says, "All this to say, I have listened to each of your podcasts oh twice, three times each. Aww. Because I freaking which love one's your cults. favorite? Which is one's it, your favorite? Do right back and tell which us. one's like your favorite of me, and which one's your favorite of Amanda? And tell us a part that made you laugh really. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. I love smart, funny, genuine po- people who do podcasts, and we're like politically cool and love books because librarians are the best. Yay! And d- drinking. I feel like I'm sitting on the porch with y'all drinking my white claws shooting the shit about cults. Oh my God. And you have been a lifeline this year and that's why that we is, love you, Jen. Thank you, Jen. So... You are our friend. Right. You're coming I, on the bus trip? You're coming on the bus trip. I wish, honestly, that we could have everybody onto the porch. I do. I do. I so, would love to have that. I would. <laughs> If we could have, like, suddenly I have a bajillion dollars, I'd be like, here's the, co- if you're listening right now, email me at this secret, le- and I will buy you a ticket right. to come to the port. Like, it's the 21st century, and, and things are what you make of them. That's no shit. <laughs> so. Life's yeah. what you make it. Ta-da. Ta-da. So, we're back. We're back, and um, it's not cults. It's 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 wild card this week. It's wild like we card. <clears throat> we're gonna do wild card for a couple of weeks, and then we're gonna take a week off because it's spring, spring break. And Amanda and I are going to um, Padre Island. We are South Padre, South Padre in the Gulf of Mexico. I I want to. There's a menopause contest. wet t-shirt contest. That's right. <laughs> and we're also happy you're throwing cold water on us. <laughs> so I'll show hot. you my boobs if you just like get in the just hot make it over make me. it colder. <laughs> in here make it colder in here <laughs> seriously check my nips we're okay. gonna do it <clears throat> so but first Aaron is gonna tell me a story oh my god oh my I'm god. gonna tell all of you oh, guys also America's Test Kim is in the house tonight just so y'all know she's she sure sitting is. in the other room she's waving there we go okay okay go Amanda yes do you like Canadian mysteries? Fuck yeah. <laughs> Do you like the Arctic? Who stole the maple syrup, eh? Do you like oh, the... Oh, it was that moves. damn Sasquatch again. <laughs> Do you like the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. 
Do you know another name for pirate treasure? Oh, that would be booty. I think it's booty. Booty. Today, I am talking about the mystery of Oak Island. And more importantly, making fun of grown-ass men living out serious and totes hetero pirate fantasies. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a man purse. It's a satchel. It's Indiana Jones has one. There we go. Men made up piracy so they could, I don't know, sing songs together. So they could touch each other. No shit. There's an entire book called Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition. It's really interesting. It's all about. <laughs> What's it about? Uh, yeah. Gay shit. shit. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm cracking myself so up. I'm so hard with this. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> oh my god. Good job, Burn. <laughs> Hang on, I have to charm my lamp here. Okay. Oh wait. Which involves lifting the lamp over it my is. head. She's lifting the lamp over her head. There we go. Okay. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. All right. So, okay. I first learned about the mystery of Oak Island in an SRA. Hey! I swear to God, if I was able somehow able to get my hands on those exact SRA sets from 1986, I would scream, I would cry, well, and then I would make everybody who ever entered my home do an SRA. Do an SRA. Dear I will eBay, Aaron's birthday is next month. That's right. I will keep scratch of scores. The, I will keep track of their scores, and if they get a 100%, then they can pick something from the Oriental Trading Company treasure chest <laughs> that I have at home. That's it's right. mostly spider rings and dusty wacky wall walkers, but I think there are some <laughs> punching balloons at the bottom. And is there a Chinese finger trap? Because There really is know. a Chinese finger trap, and since they're calling themselves the Oriental Trading Company, I am saying Chinese finger traps. Like, um, take it up with them. Right, and also, we used to have some of those little um, sort of like semicircular popper things, but oh, you turn it inside out right, and, and put it, it pops, on the table. But too many people put them on their eyes and now we don't have them don't anymore. do do that. They will also give you hickeys, but they're amazing. <laughs> now. Yes. On to what has been called Canada's best known mystery. Ooh. What? <laughs> okay. It is in fact one of the greatest mysteries in the world. In fact, the mystery of Oak Island could represent an ancient artifact created by a past civilization of advanced capability and some say the island say, is cursed. It's cursed. Uh, is it cursed? It's cursed. And I also bet that there are some people who say that it's like aliens left this. I have not heard any alien shit. Ooh, okay. There is no. Well, I'm going to start that right now. I heard that aliens built the. Ozone. Absolutely not. Ugh, alien pirates, get out of here. Our story begins. Were they Our yes. story. Obviously. Our story begins in 1795 when a young man named Daniel McInnes or Daniel McGinnis, uh, doesn't matter. Kelly uh, McGillis? The Dobie Gillis. Dobie Gillis. <laughs> <laughs> Maynard, Maynard G. G. Krebs. <laughs> I read a thing about how I don't know if this is official or not, but the dope that Bob Denver playing Maynard G. Krebs, the uh-huh. beatnik on Dobie Gillis, was the sort of shot of inspiration for um, Scooby Doo. Oh, I can see that, and how he he was Shaggy, yeah, and that mm-hmm. Dobie, Thalia, and Zelda were or the other were three. Fred. Daphne and Velma. Uh-huh. And then, uh, and a dog. And I a can do- see that. That's very cool. <laughs> I know, right? Most importantly, a semi-talking dog. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> right, Raggy? So, 
The story begins in 1795 when a young man named Daniel McInnes was wandering around a 140-acre island located 660 feet off of the coast of Nova Scotia. As you do. As you do. (laughs) We're Canadian. We have to make our own fun. He was there hunting (laughs) or maybe he was fishing. Um, Either way, the island was uninhabited. Right. A century before, according to... In Search of, starring Leonard Nimoy. Yes! People on the mainland saw strange lights coming from the island, and two fishermen went to investigate, and they never returned! So from from then on, the island was taboo. (laughs) So Daniel, like, rode over to the island to hunt or fish or whatever, and while he was there, he came across... A shallow depression in the ground. Okay. Above it, stories differ. Gotcha. <laughs> a tre- above it was a tree. You're right. With a prominent log hanging over that was sawed off, and it showed, I don't know, scarring from a block and tackle. Oh, okay. You could tell that there had you been a block You could tell this a block and tackle, or... According to some stories, a block and tackle was already there. But anyway, so there was a block and tackle or something looking like it, implying that something had been lowered into this pit. Mm -hmm. Naturally, Daniel assumed that there was treasure in that there hole. Why else would there be a block and tackle? Right. This is not somebody was working on their Oldsmobile. Correct. (laughs) Actually, true. This is not a quite a total leap of imagination. Somewhere. Someone at some time yes. <laughs> told a story about a dying, dying sailor from Captain Kidd's crew Ooh. telling several people that he had stashed two million pounds sterling on the island. And probably in like actual sterling silver. At right. That point. And according to Leonard Nimoy <laughs> from In Search of, <laughs> would you say? Literally two million pounds of it. Just it's like right. Two million, I cannot lift it. Ah, this block and tackle is too weak. Exactly. And according to In Search of with Leonard Nimoy, the legend, the legend, or a legend, says that seven people will die before the treasure is found. <sighs> well, <laughs> so later that day, like <laughs> the next day, Daniel came back with two friends, Anthony Vaughn and with seven friends, <laughs> John. <laughs> <laughs> Not it. Um, so Anthony Vaughn and John Smith, who like who like Daniel, were totally into <laughs> stories about pirates and treasure. The nearby port of La Havre was once a lair for pirates looking to rob ships coming out of New England. And I personally think that it's an inhospitable place to hang around and wait for loot ships. But yeah, I don't know. I'm neither a Canadian nor a pirate, so I can't speak to that. But I've like <laughs> in my research, I'm like, is there these <laughs> like cold water pirates? <laughs> I've never heard like. I know. Pirates of the Arctic. Pirates of the Upper <laughs> Hudson, you know. They're, com- they're coming out of New Pirates England. of the Arctic Circle. It's like, God Straight damn, out of it's gold shit. So, <laughs> according to one account, uh, the dudes got together to work digging, and before long, they uncovered a layer of flagstones Ooh. that were not... Native local stones. to the island Uh-oh. and then 10 feet below that they found some wooden planks that had been <sighs> like cut like cut and also put together with um sailor's putty Ooh! they kept digging encountering wooden planks every 10 feet 
Another account Ooh. does not mention the wooden planks, instead saying that there were tool marks or pick scrapes along the walls of the pit. Okay. And either way, it soon became impossible to shovel dirt out of a 15-foot hole. It does. In search of with Rich, with uh, Leonard Nimoy, and Leonard Nimoy had some rad reenactments of these like three guys digging, and they were like dug down, and they were like tossing logs out of the pit, like like honestly, like they were, they were shooting like free throws, free, yeah. And <laughs> then the at wrist, one, flick the wrist, <laughs> like just like flicking them out of the thing, and then at one point, one log sort of like comes back at them, and I have to dodge it, and I was like, that you, that was just That's- you guys. That's exciting reenactment. <laughs> you did that. That was not an accident. <laughs> what it is. a dramatic reenactment. You might bust your teeth, but Canada. <laughs> All the reenactments are great. From the dodgy scaffolding used to lower man into an actual giant hole <laughs> in the ground to a modeling clay cross section of the pit. Ooh. And I know that it is clay because to demonstrate the Drilling a very long, like, actual drill bit lowered drills from the top the- of the frame and drills down into the shaft and drills through the that planks. Was a great show, man. That was a kick-ass kick search of. search of. Okay, so, however, um, Daniel, Vaughn, and Smith, Daniel, Anthony, and John... Um, were overwhelmed by Abraham, Martin, and John. We're overwhelmed. By- they they dug for a while, um, but then they were eventually overwhelmed by feelings of superstitious dread. So they That's left. Natural gas. Okay, you get natural <laughs> gas. I get that. Yes, yes. This means you hit a pocket of natural gas, and you're starting to hallucinate. So they Don't left, and it wasn't until 1803 that they came back again. So Daniel, Anthony, and John teamed up with a guy named Simeon Linz from the nearby town of Onslow to form a treasure hunting consortium called the Onslow Company. <laughs> called the Onslow Treasure Hunting Which is such a fucking lame name for a treasure con- hunting consortium. I know. The Onslow group started digging again. Let me turn the page. Excavating down to 90 feet. Once again, the planks are mentioned, and um, the planks stay with the legend from here on out. Okay. And like some planks, some are no planks, but like it's from now here on out, become canon. <laughs> All right. So along the dig, Onslow, which I'm calling, there's there are other um, consortiums that get together. Right, right, right. I will be calling them by their first name. Gotcha. So on, along the dig, Onslow they let you do that. <laughs> discovered we're friends. <laughs> discovered charcoal. I'm friends with a lot of consortiums. <laughs> They discovered charcoal, um, sailor's putty, and coconut fibers, as well as a large stone inscribed with mysterious markings. The Hevener runestone. (laughs) Not too far out. The Hevener runestones actually still exist. Let me... Slight sidebar. The Hevener runestones are... In Hevener, Oklahoma. In Hevener, Oklahoma, and they're carved with... Like actual Nordic runes, runes. symbols, big stones that they found out, like big bouldery, big bouldery things in the woods. And like honestly, I remember going there as a youth. It's a, it was like a state park, right? And they're like, like these. these this is proof that the Vikings came, came to Oklahoma. To Oklahoma, and years later, they were like, no, somebody just did that. Spoiler alert! Yeah, these spoiler. These are runes, but they don't say anything. They don't say anything, and also Vikings didn't put them there. Thus, I mean, but not to negate the fact that everybody knows the Vikings got here first. Anyway, yes, also true. They did not come to Oklahoma. So anyway, 
Of the people who didn't already live here, the Vikings got here. I know, right? There were plenty of Native Americans <laughs> around. Maybe yeah. you should have asked them if the Ni- Vikings, Vikings showed up. No, no, they no. didn't mention it. <laughs> Even though this is in the heart of, like, Cherokee country. This stone is described as being two to three feet long by 12 to 16 inches wide, resembling dark Swedish granite, and to have an olive tinge, and it was not a stone common to the area. Yeah. Although this stone was allegedly discovered in 1803-something, nobody said anything or mentioned this stone until 1862 when an article in the Halifax Sun and Advisor mentioned a letter written to them one month earlier by a guy talking about how he saw the stone at the original excavation. Okay. In an 1863 newspaper article, the stone was said to have been built into the chimney of an old house near the pit. Okay. We're going to talk about the stone for a little minute. Another article a year later claimed that John Smith, uh, one of the original diggers, had the stone. On January 2nd, 1864, the Historical Society of Nova Scotia's secretary, John Hunter Duvar, had nothing better to do. So he contacted (laughs) treasure hunter George Cook, who was nowhere near the discovery, to find out what was going on. And I don't know. I'm nowhere near the discovery. Cook claimed that Smith built the stone into his chimney in 1824. Okay. And said that he was shown the stone by Smith in the chimney around 1850 and there were some crudely cut letters, figures, or characters upon it. I cannot recollect which, but they appeared as if they had been scraped out by a blunt instrument rather than a strong one. Rather than a sharp one. Okay. According to Cook, when he made inquiries in 1864, he discovered that the chimney had been enclosed in wood and surrounded by a staircase, and so the stone was no longer visible. Another dude named Jefferson W. McDonald, who was a carpenter. Jefferson W. Airplane. Right. Who was a carpenter by trade, talked about taking down a partition in Smith's house in order that he and others might examine the characters cut into the stone used in the fireplace. Okay. And he said that the characters were were all right there. Right, right, But nobody could decipher them. The next mention of the stone is in an 1893 Oak Island Treasure Company prospectus. According to the prospectus, the stone was taken out of the chimney, moved to Halifax, and there a dude named James Lechte was said to have deciphered the stone as reading... Ten feet below are two million pounds buried. (laughs) Yet another version said that that code wasn't broken until 1949. Mm -hmm. But the Navajo code talk, it was actually Navajo that was written on the stone. Actually, there were no Navajo in Nova Scotia. (laughs) Navajo. 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 Nova Scotia, that's, that's what In 1911, Collier's Magazine published a first-hand account by Captain H.L. Bodoin, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the stone, and he described the stone as a type of basalt 
hard and fine grain, mm-hmm. but he said it didn't have any symbols on it. And somebody had told him that the symbols had worn off, but he was skeptical. Like, that doesn't make sense because that's really fucking hard. Yeah. So according to another dude named Charles Driscoll, his 1929 book, The Oak Island Treasure, which was based on secondhand accounts. And this is more about the stone. Okay. The stone was shown to everyone who visited the island in those days. Smith built this stone into his fireplace with the strange characters outermost so that visitors might see and well, admire yeah. it. Many years fire. after his death, the stone was removed from the fireplace and taken to Halifax where the local savants were able to, unable to <laughs> translate the description. <laughs> the local, local savant. savant. I'm having a new business card made. Sorry. Local savant. Local savant. <laughs> Be they savants, they were unable to translate it, which means that it's especially... That's right. Douche. Savant resistance. Savant resistance. I mean, uh, it was taken to the home of a dude named J.B. McCulley in Truro, Truro mm-hmm. where it was exhibited to hundreds of friends of the McCulleys who became interested in a later treasure company. Sure. Somehow... Somehow, somehow, the stone fell into the hands of a bookbinder who used it as a base upon which to beat leather for many years. <laughs> a generation later, with the inscription nearly worn away, the stone found its way into a bookstore in Halifax, and what happened to it after that, I was unable to learn. There are plenty of people living who have seen the stone. Nobody, however, seriously <laughs> pretended to translate the, ex- the, the inscription. <laughs> Y'all will not be surprised to learn that this stone has been lost and nobody at the time thought to make a fucking rubbing a or rubbing, draw a fucking picture or, like, or make a note when a, they found I it the first time. copied what it said on there. Exactly. Remember, modern photography was invented around 1826 and was going strong by the Civil War. You could War. have taken it. Yes, we've all seen Civil War exactly. photos. Yet nobody thought to document a mysterious stone with mysterious markings <laughs> on it found at a treasure burial a treasure site. hole. The artist's rendering I saw online shows a bunch of symbols that look like, not only do they look like fake runestones, but they also <laughs> very seriously remember resemble a create your own, your own secret code oh, right. exercise. Right, we've all made our own secret <laughs> codes right. at one it's point It's like circles and dots and, and blah, 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 blah. Uh-huh. So, actually... We're moving back to 1902 okay. with the when the original digging started. Two. With the alleged discovery of the stone. Onslow and company dug and dug and dug, but they had to ad- abandon their mission when the pit flooded with water. Actually, not quite. They abandoned that particular pit and dug another one right beside it. Um... Which was also flooded with well, water. Say, and being unfamiliar <laughs> with fluid dynamics, they decided to dig another hole right next to it. There won't be any water over here. Welcome to the story. <laughs> um, in, 19, in 1849, another group of investors, including Smith and Vaughn from the original diggings, McGinnis was dead by then, yeah. got together and formed the Truro Company. The pit was re-excavated down to 86 feet, but ended up flooding again. Oh, no. Then the group drilled five boreholes using a pod auger into the original shaft. And so, like, we're going to take the original shaft and we're going to, like, make it, like, bigger. Bigger and wider. And bigger and wider. And then we're going to deal down. And the auger passed through a spruce platform at 98 feet Uh and then hit layers of oak and some. They also found something described as metal in pieces, another spruce layer, and clay for seven feet. 
It does sound suspicious in this hole. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does sound suspicious in this hole. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about like basalt runes, but well, where about, do you dig a random hole that's got a lot of platforms in we're it? We're about to find out. Okay. Okay. Unable to accept the fact that there was no treasure to be found, the Truros dug another hole nearby with the hopes that they could di- go deep and then tunnel over. over. Right. There's a pony in here somewhere. What do you think happened next? <laughs> Uh, it filled with water. Yes. Hey! As a matter of fact, if they found baby Jessica. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> There's a hole in my Actually, heart. Actually, no. Baby Jessica was well not even in that hole. brave little boy strapped <laughs> halfway to hell. <laughs> Alice has recently discovered The Simpsons. Oh, so I have been watching season like, two. <laughs> and you're like, listen, in the early, n- yeah. late 1980s. That's right. She's like, it looks weird. I was like, it'll get smoother as they go. <laughs> They're still hand drawing it. Yes. So, yes, it flooded. Uh, workers unfamiliar with the concept of water tables then assumed that the water was connected to the sea as the now flooded new pit rose and fell with each tide cycle. Uh-huh. The Is tr- it salt water? Because that'll give you a clue. We're going to, we're finding out. I'm sorry, I'm just talking. The Truro Company shifted its resources to excavating a nearby cove known as Smith's Cove, where they found a flood tunnel system. <gasps> Whoa. This part is both confusing and highly mysterious, is highly suspicious, uh-huh. but I will try and paint a picture. I'm ready. According to oakislandmystery.com, quote, the architects of the money pit devised a trap whereby when a certain depth in the pit was reached, an airlock was breached, and this allowed a flood tunnel system to deliver a steady source of water and fill the pit to tide level. Also, duh, of course they fucking understood water tables. The water in the pit was seawater, not groundwater. Which I'm also like, if you dig deep enough onto an island, won't you You get get to seawater eventually? This is a 140-acre island. Right. And it's not like... Whichever Hawaiian island is actually the world's largest volcano that no. just like reaches up from the... Yeah. Right. So, back to oakislandmystery.com, where I got a lot of my information. Well, yeah. And it said... <laughs> a lot of my information, which... Dodgy. Uh, it said, examining Smith's Cove, the searchers noticed that as the tide withdrew, the water was seen escaping from the shoreline at various locations. As they dug to ascertain the reason, they soon revealed a well-engineered system of box drains with a man-made filter composed of a layer of fiber Ooh. like they found in the pit and deemed to be coconut fiber. They also found eelgrass and beach stones. <gasps> Below this was five box drains made from flat stones with flat stones on top. And they were in a fan shape and converged to a common point near the high water mark. The whole undertaking was designed to provide a way to keep a supply of water to the pit. To keep the supply of water to the pit from becoming clogged. It was very simple yet highly effective solution. In fact, it was recorded that tons of fiber was removed and stacked on the beach as one would do with stacks of hay. What? This mysterious curse legend leans very heavily on the coconut fiber as evidence of buried treasure <laughs> because coconuts don't grow in Nova Scotia. That's true. Also, did it ever occur to anyone that the block and tackle over a shallow depression was evidence of someone building a drainage system? Absolutely I, no. not. Straight to treasure. 
The Truro group attempted to shut off the flood system because uh, they really thought they could stop the ocean, but that too <laughs> failed. What was the solution? Well, they dug another hole, 118 feet deep, with a bran- with the branched-off tunnel going under the original shaft. And some time during the excavation of this new shaft, the bottom of the original shaft collapsed. Oh, no. And uh, it was later speculated that the treasure had fallen through the new shaft oh, into course. a deep void, <laughs> causing the new shaft to, f- to flood as well, which is totally why they did not find any treasure. treasure that was it, because it the, fell through at the back. The Truro company ran out of funds and was dissolved sometime in 1851 after spending $40,000 in 1851 money. Oh, shit. And then everybody learned their lesson and decided there was no treasure. Uh. The end. Just kidding. Psych! In 1861, the Oak Island Association re-excavated the original pit and found that it was full of water. What? 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 Then they were just like digging all over the place in an (laughs) effort to stop the pit from flooding and the same shit was happening over and over again. (laughs) So it was full of water? (laughs) You damn right. Let's dig it. Shit. Just talking about shaft. I know, right? We can dig it. At one point in this particular excavation, one of the platforms placed in the original shaft at 98 feet collapsed and dropped to a lower level. The effect caused the next two platforms to drop as well, which, according to these dudes, meant that the treasure had also dropped and was now resting some 119 feet below ground. This damn treasure is so wily. It's crazy. And we just keep digging holes, and they keep filling up with water, but we just dug another one. Yeah, that's it'll, what we're going to do. There's a pony in here somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, this is the Truro group. Um, so That would later write the pelican brief yep (laughs) (laughs) so this in 1861 the oak island association and the ship falling down was also when the first of six accidental deaths occurred in the fall of 1861 when a curse of oak island when a pump engine boiler burst wow Yeah. Uh, So they were trying to pump water out of this hole that kept filling up with water. But they kept trying until 1864 when a mining company came in and declared it unsafe. Which (laughs) means it has to have been pretty fucking unsafe for an 1864 mining company. Oh my god. Whoa, 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 guys. Guys, you need to stop this right now. There's like actual sandworms in there. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, uh, no. This is not how you do it. (laughs) In 1866, a group known as the Oak Island El Dorado Company was formed to find the treasure. By this time, there are many shafts, boreholes, and tunnels under Oak Island made by previous treasure hunters, making it perhaps the world's first super fun fight. (laughs) Super fun (laughs) fight, fight. When it's like a hole, an island punched with holes. Right. When a plan to shut off the alleged flood tunnels from Smith's Cove didn't work, the company decided to shift its focus to the original main shaft. Hey, because that's where the treasure. That's where the treasure would be. Well, you would think. Exploratory holes. That were drilled turned up bits of wood, more coconut fiber, soft clay, and blue mud. And having found nothing of interest, the group gave up the search in 1867. In 1896, <laughs> an unknown group arrived on the island with steam pumps and boring equipment. God. Boring this equipment. equipment. Which is quite interesting at all. I don't want to sit by the equipment. 
Although the pumps were unable to keep water out of the flooded side shaft, boring samples were taken. God! God, guys! Look at it! so dull. Dude, but actually, this is where look, the mystery deepens right here. It was claimed that one of the boring samples um, brought up a tiny piece of sheepskin parchment to the surface. Oh, The parchment had no. two letters, V-I or W-I, <clears throat> written in India ink. True. True. It happened. It happened. <laughs> the second accidental death occurred on March 26, 1897, when a worker named Maynard Kaiser fell to his death, which was also a boss-ass uh, reenactment on In Search Oh, hey. Which actually looked like just a 70s construction worker on a wooden ladder. <laughs> In a pit, just like fall like Oklahoma's highways can be diving. Correct. In 1898, red paint was poured into the flooded pit and reportedly revealing three exit holes around the island. Oh, okay, I can see that. I was like, we just decided to vandalize it? No. They poured it out, and so... By 1909, the Oak Island site was then fully known as the Money Pit. Like, prior to that, it uh-huh. was, but by 1909, it was called the Money Pit, and <laughs> I do not know if that was a joke. Uh, okay. Like, but, I just think about the Shelly Long Tom The Shelly Long, that's what I was just about yeah. to open my mouth But I'm also like, it's a pit with money in it, but it's also like, oh, yeah. Mr. Blandings builds his dream house. house. Right, this is a Money Pit. An outfit known as the Old Gold Savage Salvage Group Gave it another go, and one of the men in this goose chase was a young Franklin Delano Roosevelt. No way! One video I watched mentioned President Roosevelt and flashed up a picture of Teddy Roosevelt, who was the actual president of the United States in 1909. (laughs) So he was not Uh, there. My young cuz is down there. Right. So the old gold group uh, dug down a hundred... Made pretzels. Right. And to... Back up. <laughs> Dug down 113 feet and then sent divers down to investigate. And uh, they did not find anything. There were 14 more attempts to find this treasure, which leading leads us up to this present day, day, which I will get to. But first we have to discuss treasure. Treasure! What started out as a simple search for two million pounds sterling buried by one of Captain Kidd's men morphed into a search for one, spoils from the 1671 looting of Panama by one one Captain Rum Morgan. (laughs) Also, there were Shakespeare's lost manuscripts that were actually written um, by Francis Bacon, Bacon yes. thus buried in Nova Scotia. This theory um, is highly promoted by Bacon stands based on Bacon's experiments Bacon with stands. preserving documents in Mercury. And according to OakIslandMystery.com, says that this theory dovetails nicely with the cache of empty flasks with traces of mercury discovered during the early si- searches on Oak Island. OakIslandMystery.com is the only place where I saw mention of these flasks. Also on OakIslandMystery.com, these flasks were not mentioned in the actual artifacts found. Oh, okay. Also, Francis Bacon. Bacon was a member of the Knights Templar Checkmate Losers. Hey! It was actually Knights Templar loot, actually hidden from the Pope. Yes. Possibly including the Holy Grail <laughs> and or Probably. the Ark of the Covenant. No, that's in Glastonbury. We've the Templars that. may or may not have left the inscribed stone that may or may not have had inscriptions. <laughs> 
There's a lot of may or may not. Correct. <laughs> or the treasure is French loot coming oh. from a pay ship headed to the fortress of Louisbourg that either was wrecked or was taken by pirates. Or the treasure or. is Spanish from the Galleon Concepcion that struck a reef off of the Bahamas and October 31st, 1641, and deposited a huge tre- treasure in relatively shallow waters. What Bahamas? The, I was going to say, what? and then it floated up from the Bahamas. Well, here we to go. Canada. In 1685, a man named William Phipps was granted rights Phipps. by James II to seek the Concepcion and recover its treasure or that of any other treasure found in the area. Phipps returned to England in 1687 with over 6,800 pounds of silver. He was knighted for his efforts and returned to the wreck with additional ships, although little additional treasure was reported found. It is alleged Alleged. that Phipps' activities during and subsequent to these periods suggested that he had the time Ah, and resources... To construct the money pit. Any inclination to take his gu- his gains up to the money Up to the money pit. Gotcha. And it says here, in order to hide the additional treasure, which had actually been discovered from the Concepcion. Don't ask who said that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Somebody else would have written it down if it matters, right? That's exactly right. Another thing that's in that pit, Marie Antoinette's jewels. Yeah, yeah. Marie and Louis did not have any jewels when they were captured, but a lady-in-waiting escaped and made her way to the fortress of Louisbourg and then buried them on Oak Island. And FDR was specifically, like, when he was looking for treasure, he was looking for, like, Marie Marie Antoinette's French treasure. I want to see the, like, queen's lady-in-waiting that's digging a 70-foot uh, yeah. Box drain. Yeah. This island. was never an inhabited island. Well, separate, you didn't have to inhabit it, but you had to dig the box drain, man. No ship. Not even inhabited by like Native Canadian First no, Nations. No, it was like only, it's like 140 acres right off the coast. It's and like, it's. We've got good land over here. We don't need yeah. to go over there. Yeah. So, or maybe it was Inca, Aztec, or Mayan treasure. You don't know. They it could be. They were known for their also, activities in Canada. Yeah, They're all they, the same thing. Oh, that's They love true. going up north. Or. It's actually Scottish treasure from the Cathedral of St. Andrews in Scotland. The wealthy Englishman hid this treasure from Cromwell, and it somehow got to Nova Scotia. OakIslandMystery.com says, although the reasoning behind crossing the Atlantic and burying them on a desert island off the coast of Nova Scotia is unclear, (laughs) it isn't impossible. That is true. It is not impossible. fair point. Now, this is not to say that nothing was ever found in the pit. Shit, I could dig a hole in my yard and and come up with something. You'll find something. Dig deep enough. So 200 years spent digging around a 140-acre island did turn up some treasure. Let's hear these treasures. They found a bosun's whistle made of bone or ivory. Uh, It was found in Smith's Cove in 1885. They found thin pieces of brass retrieved from a borehole in 1967 at a depth of 160 feet 100 no 176 feet i thought you're gonna say what nope 176 meters but (laughs) look i had to get the meters out of this that's yeah um sorry we're american (laughs) they found pieces of broken china and porcelain that were found on the island and while this is not uncommon to find on any On any inhabited shores, the China on Oak Island was sometimes found at depths which suggests it didn't get there by natural means, which is like, how is China going to get? What's the natural means? I dropped my cup. Yeah. Well, I guess if it's an uninhabited island, 
if it's an inhabited island, you'd expect to find like household trash. Right. But this has never been inhabited. So why? Why? There were a number of coins found on Oak Island and many more recently through the use of metal detectors. <laughs> Two of the oldest coins are believed to be a there these are Spanish coins. Um, and this is exactly how they were written down. So this is how okay. I'm going to say it. It was a Spanish 11 Maravedis d- dated 1598 that was found by a student on the beach in Smith's Cove in 1965. And a sim- similar 8 Maravedis circa 1600 found in the swamp in 2016. Well, okay. I guess those are denominations. Yeah. They also found rocks with holes drilled in them, three gold links from a watch chain, pieces of metal and other stones. I'm not done yet. Ah. There was something called Nolan's Cross, Ooh. which was a... Nolan Ryan? Yes. <laughs> famous baseball player. Famous pitcher for... The Marlins. I don't know. No, it was the Texas Rangers. Houston, I think. Oh, yeah. I saw Nolan's... No, it was Dallas. Okay. It was Dallas. Is that when you saw them when you went right after you yes. got your braces on? Yes, I saw Nolan... It was terrible. <laughs> it's like, I have brand new braces on my aching teeth. And I'm, now I'm forced to go to a fucking baseball game. And you're how and old? It was before Matt was born. Oh, so you're like... So a, I was like 10, 10 or 11. Or 11. And you and loved baseball and sitting out in the Summer in Texas. <sighs> anyway. It's, it's the Rangers, isn't that? That's yeah. Their baseball yeah, team. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Something Sorry. called Nolan's Cross, which is a large cross shaped formed as a result of six like gigantic boulders. And the overall dimensions of the cross is 360 feet wide by 867 feet tall. This is six boulders in a cross shape Dang. covering this much ground of a rinky dink island. And much has been speculated as to their purpose uh, as far as it being maybe a simple boundary demarcation lines to some rather complex geometry and or Baconian Templar connection. Yes. <laughs> nobody sure. ever was spe- alien landing. Nobody spot. ever was speculated the boulders were just like there. Yeah, it's like it's, a, it's like there's rocks on the ground <laughs> sometimes. Um, also found in the pit was a teeny tiny ball no larger than a grain of rice that was found by Dr. A.E. Porter of Amherst after digging around in the auger borings and like for I don't know for anyone who doesn't know the auger borings is like when the drill goes down and the drill comes back up there's Uh like like dirt and shit in the drill bit yeah those are the auger borings okay under a magnifying glass he was able to flatten the object which turned out to be parchment with ink it <gasps> remains a mystery as to how and why this parchment came to exist so deep in the money pit i was like <gasps> this is a piece of paper the size of a grain of rice yeah, that he unfolded <laughs> and they're like it's mystery we don't know <laughs> you know i've if you read about archaeological digs, household garbage is a thing they find. It like is. Like campsite garbage. Really? Yeah. yeah. It is a real thing. It is a real thing. But um, they also found a pair of um, wrought iron scissors. Ooh, okay. Recovered from the area beneath what was believed to be the flood tunnel system. And the discovery was made in 1967 and identified as a Sp- Spanish-American design prior to the mid-1800s. And I saw a picture of these scissors and they're just like basic, like early American scissors. Scissors. Yeah. Um, wood. Wood. They also, yes, wood. What they, they found? What, wood okay. was reported right, as a never finding. Never mind. I'm, I'm As a matter of no. fact, I'm convinced. Excuse me, I'm going to Canada. <laughs> So, in 1965, Reader's Digest published an article entitled, Is Oak Island Cursed? And I 
guarantee you, based on nothing, that it was the basis for my SRA. Oh, yeah, I yeah, pro- yeah. I promise to God, I cannot imagine that the SRA didn't, like, come Reader's Digest. Right. What's a great little story that we can make into an SRA? Uh-huh. Yes, this is exactly so, it. In this article, they claim that Oak Island is cursed because even though people have been digging for treasure for 200 years, nobody has laid hands on actual treasure. <laughs> God. My heart is cursed as well. <laughs> <laughs> it must be cursed. Treasure. I have not found 200 pounds of silver, so. In 2006, two brothers named Rick and Marty Legina. Okay. Rhymes with Regina. <laughs> and, and nothing else. Right. <laughs> read that Reader's Digest article. And so, well, no, they read it when they were little. Yeah. And in 2006, they purchased 50% of an outfit called Oak Island Tours, which had been formed in the 90s. Okay. And I'm not going to go into that because it was, it's yeah. just like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, in 2014, the History Channel started airing a show called The Curse of Oak Island, dun, dun, dun. which is still on. Okay. No treasure. So. It's cursed. Some of you cold, unimaginative skeptics out there may be asking, if it's not a money shaft treasure pit, what is it? What is it? What is it, Aaron? It's a sinkhole. A CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Mm -hmm. Corporation, article from 2020. In this article, a retired geologist named Stephen Atkin said, the bedrock under the east side of Oak Island where the money pit is located is made up of Windsor Group limestone and gypsum. Oh, man, that fucking Windsor Group. Fucking assholes. (laughs) The Windsors ruin everything, don't they? They do. Fucking queen and shit. He said, given the right conditions, such as temperature, pressure, poor fluid composition, quite often these minerals, especially gypsum, are prone to dissolution. And what you're left (laughs) with is essentially a cavity in the bedrock or a kind of cave. Mm -hmm. At the money pit, he said that the geological evidence suggests that the roof of the cave collapsed. Yeah. He also said that there were sinkholes nearby, which further shows the so-called tunnels and pits are not engineered. They're just sinkholes. Uh Uh-huh. Another pit similar to the early description of the money pit was discovered in the area in 1949, where workmen were digging a well on the shore, shore of Mahone bay um at a point where the earth was soft at about two feet down a layer of field stone was struck struck and then logs of spruce and oak were unearthed at irregular intervals and some of the wood was charred at the time the immediate suspicion was that another money pit had been found Mm -hmm. they talk because they talk about it being a sinkhole they talk about it being a cave that had collapsed and it being a hole and of course, you know the le- legend says, legend says. And so they talked about all these platforms built at every 10, 10, 10 feet. But also, they talked about how when you have an open hole in the ground, logs fall into it. Yeah, I guess so. And blow over, and like sometimes there's a fire. For yeah. Lightning strikes. Lightning strikes and fire. And then charred wood falls into it. Okay. So he said, "These are not man-made. They are naturally yeah. formed." features and they sometimes and they take sometimes thousands even millions of years to form to me personally the treasure of oak island has already been found in the form of archaeological artifacts that have been discovered he said as a collection these artifacts tell a rich history about activity on the island they could be logging farming military operation even shipbuilding and repair to me that is the treasure absolutely 
absolutely. That's, like, so that, that's cool stuff. Exactly. Is the, the mystery of Oak Island. Island. Very the real cool. treasure was the stuff no we found treasure. along the way. Oh. But there's still a fucking history channel of these guys That's that right. are just digging out there Dig. and the fantastic uh, unsolved mysteries. That's great. <clears throat> yes, that was a kick-ass in search of. I bet. That was very fun. Indeed. What fun research to do, too. Yeah. So, yes. Yay, how cool. What a fun story. I had heard of Oak Island and read a little bit about it, but that was a lot more. So mm-hmm. I appreciate your work. Thank, well, thank you. you. Like I said, I remember rating the SRA mm-hmm. and they were like, and then dug and then the water came in. I was like, whoa. Whoa. Platforms. What is happening what? here? And from my SRA, I was like, well, obviously they buried treasure. And then like, I guess they went underwater and dug a hole from the ocean <laughs> up into up, the Right, we tunneled thing. up under the sand like Bugs Bunny <laughs> right. with a little... Thank you. Periscope. So, yes. That's fantastic. Thank Any you for the story. Any Canadians listening, please tell please me. Please tell us if you've ever Oak been Island? to Oak Island. If you found treasure. Another woman who I didn't get her name, she was a writer and historian in Canada, and she speculated that it could have been a tar pit. Oh, yeah. Uh, holding tar to for ships. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, definitely true. So. But probably not two million pounds sterling down at the bottom mysteriously on this rock that nobody saw to save or take a picture of or, or take a rubbing of or nothing or nothing I hate it when that happens I know right all right yay all right so what are you doing at halftime guys we're digging a fucking hole you guys there's let's treasure go. in my yard right. treasure in the yard either that or her yard's cursed let's go find a out a legend has it one or the other one that there's treasure in my yard but it may be cursed it's also the Ark of the Covenant that's right and we're gonna dig for this treasure in this uh, marked off area, which is also the same size as the garden she wants to plant, but that's just a coincidence. Just a coincidence. It's called a treasure garden. Treasure garden. It's different from a lady garden. Tired, y'all. Shoot, there was so much digging, but filthy. filthy. I found good shit, though. We did find some good shit in the yard. Mm -hmm. Um, I found the Stanley Cup. (laughs) 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 Right there, man. It was just ten feet down. It was amazing. I found um, perhaps a cryptid skeleton. Ooh. But it also might just have been a possum. I don't know. <laughs> been possum. Possums are kind of cryptidy on their own. They are. It's, they're immune to snake bite and they don't get rabies. That's right. <laughs> I, I found Bob Denver. Oh, man. <laughs> Was he okay? No. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Stanley Cup fell on him. Oh, <laughs> boo hoo hoo. The possum dropped his Stanley Cup on, on Bob him. Denver. I can hate you. <laughs> Stupid little tea bag grabbed onto your chin kind of beard. Fuck you, energy crap. <laughs> Son Man, of a Man, I wish I was you. Okay, well, <clears throat> I have a story for us I'd like all. to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. <laughs> <laughs> this here's a tale for all, all the, the fellas. fellas. Trying to do what, what the ladies, ladies tell us. 
Uh, okay, when I say the summer of 69, besides the Brian Adams song, what do you think of? Um, your birth? Yes, thank you. <laughs> so tonight I'm going to tell you the story of me. The day that I was born. <laughs> August 2nd, 1969. Picture it. Laredo, Texas. (laughs) So hot. I just, mom talks about how she spent the last like month of her pregnancy on the Mexican border sitting in a lil waiting pool, just like (laughs) reading paperbacks. (laughs) It's like, bring the hose over here. Bring the hose over here and spray me down. I'm on an Air Force base. (laughs) We're on an Air Force base on the Mexican border. But yes, 1969 was a year packed with historical events. Mm -hmm. Despite my birth, besides my birthday, Woodstock. The first episode of Sesame Street. Moon landing. The con... Oh. But did that? Oh. The Beatles recorded Sorry. Abbey Road. Yeah. Jump on your shit. Trans Am debut. Lots of stuff happened. Some things happened that maybe didn't happen. Mm. The space program... Which began in one era, the buzz cut age of American exceptionalism. It was true. <laughs> That's stuff. right. Do you want something done? We will do it. We have nothingly defeated the Nazis, but fucking slide rulers. We've got to do and something. Money. And short sleeve dress shirts. And, <laughs> and we can't be alone with our thoughts, or the horrors of war will come rushing right, right back, back to, us. to us. And we cannot do this. Correct. Knee Our deep in blood. I was knee deep in blood. A mission for us? Mm-hmm. That has nothing at all to do with the Soviets. No. no. Nope. And then he was gunned down in Dallas, which <laughs> or is a was different he? show. Or different was episode. He? So yeah, that's where the space program began, but it kind of culminated in the post-NAM one, two, three, what are we fighting for? Right. Watergate. Mm-hmm. People starting to realize that maybe the government didn't always do the right thing all the time. <laughs> oh, shit. Maybe they were slightly capable of outright lying to the public in order to get what they wanted. Maybe we were better off when we didn't know these things. Well, we, what? Well, that's a different episode. <laughs> but in this cynical new world, the disillusioned boomers looked to the sky and thought, maybe that was all a lie, too. Who could have done this? this. Because this week I'm going to lead with a big name conspiracy theory. Uh, The moon landings were filmed on a movie set. Somebody specific filmed them. I know who filmed them. And then confessed to it in a later film. Oh, really? Yes, he did. So here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Abraham's a pruder. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. All right. The Sputnik... Soviets sent up Sputnik. We cannot have that. Mm-hmm. They're getting into space. Obviously. We're not yet. That's not going to happen. Uh, so, yeah, Kennedy said we're going to send a man to the moon by the decade. And though we might be years behind the Soviets in rocketry, we were years ahead of them in filmmaking. Mm-hmm. If we can't beat them to the moon, mm-hmm. we can make it look like we did. We were also not that many years away from rocketry because all of those Nazi rockets. Yes. Where did they Brand go? New. Where did they go? Did they come? NASA. They did went they to come NASA. to NASA? Yes. <laughs> uh, in my extensive research this week, when I have a lot of fun mm. in here, so get ready. Um, they talked a lot about Nazi and early American flying saucer technology and they just kept referring to it as flying saucer technology. <laughs> okay. So I'm just like plan nine from outer space because I mean those they, they only look like that in movies. They only ever look like that in movies. films. And if you think about it how does a flying saucer start to fly unless it's like launched out of a skeet shooter? That's, that's, that's exactly what I was in my mind. It's like, <laughs> No, those things that throw 
tennis balls for uh-huh. your dog, but it's flying saucer. It's a flying saucer just shoots it up in there. Oh yeah. Well, Aaron, if you've ever seen the film Independence Day, oh. you would know. So yes, I have. The moon landings that. were faked. And, oh yes, yay! And moon landings were faked, and uh, wonderfully so. And most of the theories about the original faking part mm-hmm. came from one man, a man named William Casing. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to pause and learn a bit about him. William Casing was born on July 31st in 1922 in Pasadena, California. Mm -hmm. He was a, you know, kid. A dude. (laughs) He had a paper route. He went rafting. He liked to eat apples he found behind the grocery store. He was living in (laughs) Rose County, Pasadena, California. Beautiful, beautiful. Bucolic life in 1922. In between the wars. Fresh fruit everywhere. (laughs) His dad was horrible, but then died when he was nine. Nice. Uh, His mom was emotionally absent. I guess if you have a horrible husband, then you just close yourself right off. Yeah. But it was so nice outside. Uh It was, really. Uh, He went, uh, after he grew up, he went into the Navy. Mm -hmm. Then he got an English degree. And after the Navy, he, quote, worked briefly as a salesman, insurance claims examiner, and cabinet maker. Okay. All right. (laughs) Uh, He then found work as a technical writer at Rocket Dines Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Rocket Dines. That's a nice name. That's like a space age name. That's nice. It's very Rocket Dines. Uh, In 1956, uh, prior to the Apollo missions. Uh In September 56, he became a service analyst. In 58, he was an engineer and publication, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then he was finally the head of... Technical publications and technical writing. Wow. Okay. Yes. On May 31st, 1963, he resigned for personal reasons. The reason being that personally, he was losing his shit. Bless his little heart. Oh, yeah. boy. Uh, in the years that followed, Casey has been described as suffering from chronic anxiety, mm-hmm. which uh, 1963 chronic anxiety, which could be any Anything. number of things. Yeah. <laughs> the fact that you were diagnosed with chronic anxiety in 1963 means that something was right. going You've begun on. begun to like shoot people out of the bell tower of the <laughs> University of Texas. That's chronic anxiety for you. Oh, that's a whole story, yeah. man. So, Casing developed, quote, a full-blown disillusionment with modern life. (laughs) Okay. So, first of all, he started by selling the family television and radio and canceled the newspaper subscriptions. Okay. Scandalous. Uh. Yes. And then, finally, he said, hey, guys, let's travel. He bought a trailer with bunk beds for his children and embarked on a year-round vacation Mm. with his wife and kids. Before long, his wife and daughters left him... And for the better part of the next decade, he traveled around, foraged for food, picked up odd jobs, mm-hmm. freelance writing, fruit picking, security, selling dentistry equipment by mail order. No. Yes. Uh, to whom? Dentists. I don't know. Or people. People <laughs> who need to perform at barbers. Home dentistry. Barber surgeons. Home dentistry. <clears throat> he wrote. It's a class you can take in the back <laughs> of Mad Magazine. <laughs> Uh, he started writing with the Straight Arrow Press, which was the original publisher of Rolling Stone. Okay. And his first published work was the Ex-Urbanite's Complete Illustrated Easy Desert First Time Farmer's Guide. So okay. if you want to drop out of the rat race. Okay. And it was dispensed him, quote, wisdom on everything from acorns to yurts. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, his wife is back home going, God damn it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> So, uh, but before too long... I'm going to marry a policeman. I'm going to marry a policeman. Uh, before too long, his ri- ideas and writings took a darker turn. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he came to assert in his writings that while he was at Rocket Nine, he was privy to secrets about Mercury, Gemini, Atlas, and Apollo programs. Mm-hmm. And he argued that... <clears throat> 
you don't need a degree in engineering to know that we clearly have the technology to get somebody to the moon, but there's no way we could get them back. That the that like blasting somebody off and landing somewhere is one thing. Right. Like, okay, now you're up there and we've sent you all the stuff you need to re-blast off, mm-hmm. whatever. So to be fair, that is legit. It, that it yeah, is very and it was dumb. it was a problem that NASA was presented right, with and, like, and solved over. Michael Collins, I remember reading him, and he said the scariest moment to him of the entire trip was when the other two guys were on the lunar surface uh-huh. and he pushed the button to for them to come back up for the uh-huh. lunar lander. And he said the like nanosecond before he's like, either I'm gonna push it and it works, or it's not gonna work, and I'm gonna have to say Bye, Bye, guys. You're going to die on the moon. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's a legit problem, and NASA knew about it. It's the, the whole early space program is fucking insane. Uh-huh. And the fact that my cell phone contains more. A Furby. A Furby contains more electronics than what the moon <laughs> Yes. The fucking Furby. Yeah. Dude. Uh, no. That's like math at work right there. Right. My phone, I mean, we got like Star Trek shit going on on our phones. Right. Unfortunately, it will not conjure a meal when I ask it, but. <sighs> Although I did watch one time a great Discovery Channel show called William Shatner Invented the Universe. Yeah. And it talked to scientists who were all like, oh, yeah, I developed cell phones because I was a Star Trek fan. And one guy who's like, oh, yeah, I'm a quantum physicist working on teleportation. I was a Star Trek fan. It was like all these people who yeah. were like, I invented yeah. this because I was a Star Trek fan. That's awesome. So that was cool. But yeah, okay. We could send a crude rocket to the moon but not return it safely. And he also spoke of traveling through atmospheric radiation, which was a problem that had yet true. to be solved. true, it's true. And even before July 1969, he had a hunch, an intuition, a true conviction and he cited that he didn't believe that any of it. And he wrote a book titled We Never Went to the Moon, America's $30 Billion Swindle. Wow. Which he self-published in 1976. It was published by the John Birch Society. 1,000%. <laughs> yeah, because, um, I mean, clearly, the, get to the moon before the Soviets. Impossible. Is key, crucial. How can we, as a nation in the early 60s, survive if the Soviets beat us to anything, anywhere. And they already kind of did. They did. So we have to fix this. Which is why they doubled down. Yes. Uh, no, which is why they lied and faked it. Oh, all. Sharon. It, my bad. This is going to be about the Soviets. It is about the Soviets. So, yes. Here are the inconsistencies that he states prove that the landing was faked. Go. The flag. <laughs> yes. Is, should have been drooping down, but it's tight and even waving. It Not has, possible. It has a little bar holding shut, it up. Shut up. Shh. I learned that from the Charlie Brown book of questions and answers. <laughs> about space. It was. It was We've got it in the, the other The second room. edition was about space. Yeah. And with the comic Quixote. From the- <laughs> we remember from Father Yod. <laughs> oh, and also, all of the film of the flag looking like it waves is what Buzz Aldrin is trying to like screw it into the soil. So like clearly, no, yeah, yes. I'll bust ahead and say that um, the episode of MythBusters where they bust all the moon landing is faked. Uh, like yes. that was great. We rewatched that. Oh, good, oh, good. Yeah. Quote uh, uh, number two: There's only one source of light on the moon, the sun. Except the shadows of the astronauts fall every which way, which suggests multiple light sources, like you might find in a movie studio. 
Or where the, you're standing right next to the Earth, which also reflects quite a bit of well, light. And you're uh, also like, it can reflect off of the suits. It can reflect off of the dust. Any right. number of... Right. Uh, yeah, no, the moon no. reflects a lot. Six, no. no. 60% of that mission was mylar foil. <laughs> no shit. Uh, number three, blast circle. If NASA had actually landed a craft on the moon, it would have left an impression and markings where the jets fired during takeoff. But did they? No. No. You know what also needs, leaves no impression? Movie props. Checkmate, <laughs> NASA. Movie props. Are <laughs> 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 <Our> way nothing. <laughs> right. Uh, number four, you're supposedly in outer space, but there's no stars in the backgrounds of any of the pictures. <laughs> okay. You know where there are also no stars? Movie sets. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I beg to differ. I believe <laughs> every movie set has at least one star. Oh! I mean, it was just right there. Nice job, Brian. And nice. number five, uh, if Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon, who was filming him go down the ladder? Checkmate, NASA. There's no such thing as an externally mounted camera. <laughs> except that there were externally mounted cameras. Also, there were two other dudes that were there. But they Literally never going down the ladder. Two entire persons. Oh, no. So yeah. Well, uh, I'm convinced. Okay. The end. The end. So his alternate theory was elaborate. He believed that the astronauts had been removed from the ship moments before takeoff, flown to Nevada, where a few days later they broadcast the moonwalk from the desert. Mm-hmm. People, citation people, <laughs> Armstrong walking through a hotel lobby with a showgirl on each arm. Clearly, because a clean-cut white man was walking through it. Right. Aldrin was playing the slots. And then they were all flown to Hawaii and put back inside the capsule for the splashdown. That's right. And another, they also say that the most chilling aspect of this whole theory is the um, uh, Gus Grissom, Edward White, and Roger Chaffee who were killed. Dude, that is a fucking horribly disturbing nightmare story that this dude is like... It was a cover-up because they were going to go public. So cheapening and shit. Them. It's like, no, those men were burned alive. Sitting there knowing... Knowing... That there was nothing... Like, we can't help you. We and can't every, help you. We, they knew that people can help them and the people were like looking in the window and they're like, we, we can't, can't help, help you. you. So nice. That's, yeah, thanks. Okay. Nice job. Yeah, they were going to mm. go public and they weren't... Right. About uh, how they were about to be whisked away to Hawaii. Yeah. Christ. So all of the skepticism leaves us with the obvious question. Who in 1969 would have been capable of staging a believable moon landing? But not capable of keeping three astronauts inside a hotel. Sequestered. I know, right, right. Couldn't keep them in the hotel. Who, Aaron, who? It's Stanley Kubrick. It's Stanley Kubrick. Oh. Yes, right. He made Lolita. That's <laughs> right. He made <laughs> Paths of Glory. Riding high on Paths of Glory. Tom Jones. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I don't do so well to be filmed by anyone. <laughs> It's Mr. 2001 himself, Stanley Kubrick. And we know that he filmed it because of that one extended shot of Michael Collins watching Neil and Buzz out the window of the lunar orbiter. But he's got his head kind of down uh-huh. and he's staring out. From- yeah, so we know. Obviously, that's Clearly, it. That's it. Conclusive proof. But for real, yes, 2001 A Space Odyssey, when it came out, absolutely blew everyone away. They were stoned, but it still blew everyone away. <laughs> Knowing what we know now about Stanley Kubrick's movie stylings, they couldn't have fucking filmed the moon landing because it would have gone like 45 weeks. Over and like, budget. Over budget. It's like, you've... you've d- sir, sir. You've ruined NASA's budget. Okay. Nope, 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 nope. Reshoots, reshoots. Come down the, come down the stairs again. Come down the stairs <laughs> yes, again. Come down the stairs again. 
again. I don't like Michael Collins, so I'm just going to torment him for the entire time. <laughs> Shit. Just, I need him to be upset about I being really up need in the room. I really need And also, Scatman Crothers has to die. <laughs> We're getting there, baby. Yay! We are getting there. Scatman Crothers will never die. Ugh. The conspiracy theorists, it made perfect sense that NASA, who realized they could not land a man on the moon and beat the Soviets, Ob's not, turned to Kubrick, who delivered above and beyond. Presumably, he did it for a ton of money, but he still felt guilty. And he had deceived so many people, and his conscience led him to want to confess. Stanley Kubrick? Yes. Okay. Because he felt bad for deceiving everybody. Stanley Kubrick has never felt bad a day in his life. No. But he couldn't just tell everybody and go public. Just be rude. Or else the government would have had him disappeared. So he coded his confession into a little old film called The Shining. Oh. Wow. I'm ready. I'm on page five of 21, and the rest of this shit is about The Shining and also another surprise at the end. Yes, go. So, like I said, there is so much information about this conspiracy theory, I felt giddy. (laughs) The number of YouTube analyses, serious podcasts, lengthy essays, books self and traditionally published, for real. People need you to know that a man never landed on the moon and here is why. (laughs) And this is like, because of that very reason is why, you know, we talked about doing conspiracy theories before. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, obviously, but part of me is just like daunted by like so much fucking information. Yeah, it is a bit daunting. And like I said, I didn't mean for this to be huge, but it's huge. Right. And I'm like, how do I know when I'm talking about a cons... Yeah. How do I know I'm not like on the real... Right, right. Oh, who knows? What is real? What is real? Okay, but anyway, go. The Shining. Okay, yeah. Shit. So, Stephen uh, King hates that movie. <laughs> you know why. That's his problem. Yeah. We'll get there. <laughs> so, to this end, I found the writings of an astounding man named Jay Widener. Mm-hmm. He is a director, but he's so much more. And here he is from his website. Called by Wired Magazine, an authority on the hermetic and alchemical traditions, Jay Widener what? is a renowned filmmaker, author, and scholar. What has Jay Widener... A directed a um, movie about the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> Called by Wired magazine, <laughs> Aaron Byrne is the greatest librarian that ever existed. Considered to be a modern day Indiana Jones for his worldwide quest to find clues to mankind's oh. spiritual destiny oh. wow, that via is- ancient okay. societies and artifacts. Not uh, Jay was featured on the history. Go home, Wired magazine. You're drunk. <laughs> Uh, he was featured in the History Channel's documentary, The Lost Books of Nostradamus. Look, there are and, a lot of History Channel. Remember, the History Channel also airs Curse of Oak Island. And, <laughs> I remember when the History Project Channel Hitler. was just the World War II channel forever. It's kind of it still like, is. Well, no, it was like every time I come through the living room, I was like, is this what, like, Wings of Glory? No. What was uh, Winds of War. No. There was a series. No, I know what you're talking about. It was the Navy one that had like 10,000 yeah. episodes. Yes. Yes. I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> victory at Sea. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. God, I was victory always so sea. excited for Victory at Sea. Now it's like World War II in color. Uh-huh. So, yeah. In the year 2000, he founded Sacred Mysteries with his wife, Sharon Rose. Mm. Sacred Mysteries is a website I could only access via the Wayback Machine. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. And it features the opportunities to purchase DVDs with titles like Sound Yoga, Star Dream and Quantum Astrology. <laughs> it also had the finest Mystic Secrets of the Orient fonts and wingding design that I could get, like that the early internet had to offer. 
Oh, the last avatar. It's not quite the Chungking font, no. but almost. La, 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 la. <laughs> now, this one was like, uh, if Egyptian writing was not in hieroglyphics, it would it be would in be this a, font. Okay. Papyrus. Yes. But yes, papyrus, 100%. Uh, he develops and produces cutting-edge programs, like one called Deep Space, about the secret space program. Mm-hmm. On his website, you can read articles with titles like Tolkien at the End of Time, Alchemical Secrets of the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> which uh, I did not read. Cool. And one entitled Innocent Murder, The Real Story of Jean Benet's Death, which I did read, and that's a whole different show. Oh, <laughs> no. But let me just say that the article contains the line, quote, trying to get a handle on the Jean Benet Ramsey murder is like attempting to catch a rattlesnake blindfolded with one hand behind your back without getting bit. It's not easy, but it can be done. Really? But is, I, is that what it's like? <laughs> um, I don't think you could catch a rattlesnake that way. <laughs> I don't think he could catch a rattlesnake that way. <clears throat> also, a little girl was murdered. Also true. Uh, Jay made a lifetime and has made a lifetime and a living out of this moon landing thing. He has written an entire body of work with the two pieces I'm going to quote from are called How Stanley Kubrick Faked the Apollo Moon Landings, a.k.a. How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Lies. Uh, Alchemical oh, Kubrick too. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. And uh, Secrets of the Shining, How Faking the Moon Landings Nearly Cost Stanley Kubrick His Marriage and His Life. And I, I'm just going to have to ex- extensively quote from them because... Yeah, obviously. Yeah. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Stanley Kubrick being a fucking lunatic. Right. Like, don't bring his wife into this. Uh, well, you'll see why. Okay, yes. Yay! Okay, I'm so, so excited. Question, step one, motivations for faking. Yes. Why fake the moon landings at all? What would be the motivation? Soviets. Exactly. Authors Joseph Farrell and Harvey Stevens have shown us undeniable proof that Nazi scientists had developed advanced flying saucer technology as early as 1943. Werner von Braun invented the rocket. To which I say, did they really call it flying saucer technology? No, they didn't. No. Many sources inside the military industrial complex have related to me, this dude. Indeed. That after John Kennedy was shown the flying saucer technology, he realizes that the advances that they had uh, could solve many of the pressing problems of the world. Like, haven't been to the moon yet problems, I guess. Okay. Not like poverty and hunger no. or bullshit. The race problems. No. Ridiculous. No. Soon after seeing flying saucer technology, JFK made his speech asking NASA to land a man on the moon by the end of the decade. Mm -hmm. Many insiders believe this was a ploy by JFK to get NASA and the secret government, yes, to to release their saucer technologies. Yes, Brian? Brian has his hand up. Um, If we had flying saucer technologies, why didn't we just fly saucers to the moon? Oh, Brian. Because I then am they shocked you didn't do your JFK voice. I mean, shit. This oh, is- oh my God! That's right. Do that again. If we had flying saucer <laughs> technology at the time, <laughs> why did we not go to the moon? I will tell you why, Mr. John F. Kennedy, sir. Please you do. Are- I was <laughs> assassinated. Right, we have to free this advanced technology from the hands of the U.S. shadow government. <laughs> but I put in all those lights. The shadow government now has plenty of light. You're not even the president, Kennedy. There's a shadow government. I'm a ghost. Yeah, well, you're about to be. The assassination oh. of Kennedy in 63. Too soon. NASA. <laughs> it's never too soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yes, after he was assassinated by the shadow government, uh huh, McNamara, yeah, <laughs> Oswald was a patsy. That'll be episode four. 
four through eight. <laughs> four through eight. NASA began the new plan that would solve this problem. It would allow NASA and the shadow government to keep the saucer technology secret, but make it look like standard rocket technology had taken man to the moon and back. Okay. Oh, so, oh my God. So all so. <laughs> <laughs> the rockets were actually just like stacks of flying saucers, yeah, it's like a whole bunch. like a like a pineapple, like a pineapple, or like um those like pencils where you'd like the finally <laughs> pull the end out of it and put it in the back, and the other yeah. sharp point would come oh, out. Oh yeah, yeah, yes, yes, Jesus Christ. So. In some ways, NASA's position on this was understandable. We're in the middle of the Cold War. Mm-hmm. Do we really want to show the Russians our secret sp- uh, spying saucer technology? No. So, what Absolutely. are we going to do? Number two, point number two, who will fake it? In early 1964, we'll Stanley Kubrick had just finished Dr. Strangelove oh, and wanted to make a sci-fi there film. There we go. It is true, actually true, that during Dr. Strangelove, Kubrick asked the U.S. Air Force if they could loan him a real B-52 bomber. Uh, and they were like, no. <laughs> uh, no. We're not going to do that. Yeah, no. He, they, he wanted to film the outside and inside, and they said no. Uh, because... Uh, you can make that shit in Hollywood. Because you can make that shit in Hollywood. They don't want to really show their stuff, Mm -hmm. etc. Undaunted by this rejection, Kubrick used a lot of effects to create his B-52 in Dr. Strangelove. Um, It's possible that when someone in NASA saw what he was doing, they admired it and designated Kubrick as a person best qualified to direct the moon landing. So they were like, oh, this guy's... This guy's good. There we Uh go. Um... Kubrick had a reputation for being a nasty negotiator. It would have been very interesting to have been a fly on the wall, says he. Mm. Well, that definitely proves something. Yes. But then in 1964, he did 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it was he started in 64. It was released in 68. A movie I have never seen, which multiple guys that I have dated have asked me, have you seen that? And uh-huh. I was like, no. Nope. I have actually seen it. And I saw it back in the day before I did any drugs. And I think that it would have helped. <laughs> but yeah, the, honest to God. Yeah. The, 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 the monkey part at the beginning is cool. Mm. And then the like, the howl part uh-huh. is interesting and the rest of it I can't tell you about there's no. like a little bit at the end where they're sitting in a room like a guy's in a room <laughs> the girls in the pink suits the girls in the pink suits and the um, the ship is revolving so there's somebody walking oh yeah yeah, the, yeah it's like turning but they're still walking no that yeah. is like supreme drug viewing yeah oh yeah I <laughs> okay Penny Penny has an ex boyfriend who is actually a fairly well-known musician whatever but one day he texted her and he said last night we went to a viewing of 2001 and somebody in the audience had taken acid and then they had a really bad reaction and like sent a youtube video and it, he didn't have a terrible so we can still kind of laugh it but at one point he's this guy stands up and he's like no don't go in there and some like three people yell drink some water <laughs> anyway (laughs) paralleling events it is uncanny the way that the production of 2001 parallels the apollo space program isn't it amazing it isn't the film started production in 64 and went on in 68 apollo started in 64 and culminated with the moon landings in 69 it's also interesting to note that Frederick Ordway was working for NASA and Apollo and was also the top science advisor on 2001. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. So um, the 
Stanley got to work and the most pressing problem in 64 was to figure out a way to make the shots on the ground on the surface of the moon look realistic. He had to make the scenes look wide open and expansive like it was really done on the moon. Mm -hmm. So he had question or point number four, Hollywood trickery. Right. Nobody knows how many things that he tried, but eventually Kubrick settled on doing the entire thing with a cinematic technique called front screen projection, which Mm -hmm. is like early green screen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We're here on our set and the back is the space, but... If you look hard enough, you can see the line. Well, it's like a matte painting. Like a matte painting. But also sort of (coughs) electronic. And from then, our pal Jay uses a lot of pics of 2001 and shows us where the set ends and the background scene begins. Uh Uh-huh, because it's a movie. And then Mm. he moves on to show us the same kind of pictures of the moon (gasps) where you can see the line. This is where the end of it and that's where it is. Again, notice the texture of the ground changes right behind my lines. Did yeah. you know that the film Glory, starring Matthew Broderick and Denzel Washington, uh, was actually the Civil War? Like, that's <laughs> the Civil War never really happened. Brian, you are so deep. <laughs> I'm, I'm yes. deep in something. I love stories about the triumph of black men starring white men. <laughs> yes! I know, the whole, the whole thing is someone just, like, telling... Matthew Broderick about how great Denzel Washington is. Oh. Hey, uh, To Kill a Mockingbird. <sighs> Episode 35. <laughs> okay, so anyway, uh, there is an extensive amount of photos. Uh, I, I did look at the pics. I can see the lines he draws. I can see what he's saying. I don't believe it, but I'm like, yeah, if you draw yeah. a line there, it does look slightly different beyond it is. Well, but especially after you've drawn the line. <laughs> right. This is also like photography on the moon, which does not... Right. It's not earth logic. <laughs> no, take There's it. a whole bunch of shit about depth of field. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Jesus. And, and I will condense it down... Um, this depth of field is also like if you zoom in closely right it has to do with the fact that they had a 70 millimeter camera Hasselblad camera mm-hmm. on the moon and that's also what Stanley Kubrick likes to use right so I'll just skip some pages ah okay yeah um, the next point that he makes is something about a man named Richard Hoagland a former NASA consultant Richard Hoagland examined a lot of the photos of the Apollo landings, and he believes that you can see the remains of cities if you look in the background. Our pal Jay thinks he's just seeing the reflecto screen. Mm-hmm. Other people, one of the things that he did, all of this stuff, is he took all of the NASA photos and like redeveloped them with different processes oh, so he could, quote, so- see the real truth. I'm getting to The Shining. I just, I have to tell you about this or else it won't make sense. Maybe this is why NASA suddenly lost all of its lunar images. Maybe this is... No, they didn't. (laughs) Maybe this is why NASA just admitted that they accidentally taped over the original high-res Apollo landing. No, they didn't. Maybe this is why Neil Armstrong, first man to walk on the moon, doesn't want to participate in any of the 40th anniversary parties. That's not true. Well, you know. Remember when uh, Buzz Aldrin like straight up punched Punched a man in the fucking face? amazing. Walking right up to him and saying... I know. Here's me proving it. Tonk. I know. That was I I love that. No, I read enough of the right stuff. Yeah. And I really wanted to read all of the the right stuff, but it was too caught up in like Tom Wolf bullshit and was just like turgid and unreadable. But I also know that at the very beginning when they talked about sending the dudes out for test flights, Uh it's like, who's going to die today? Yeah. 
And and they did. Yeah, and, and they, they did. It's and like, they did. Chuck Yeager is famous because he lived. did not die. He did not die. Despite many, yeah. many killings. <laughs> many killings. Yeah. You know, sacrifices for the U.S. And I know that Buzz Aldrin... Um, Sort of live that legacy. He did too, yeah. He did. Yeah. And he did. And for somebody to come up and like, I don't know, if you're fucking Buzz Aldrin, you went to the moon, that's like... But if somebody said, went to the moon. I read. <laughs> that was fake. Buzz Aldrin. It's like, I'm going to fucking break your neck. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a pro-Buzz Aldrin podcast. It's a pro-Buzz Aldrin Absolutely. podcast. Uh, part six, Inconsistent Shadows. We went over that. Um, oh, Christ. That's like... In, in, Jay says that Kubrick did this on purpose... Because he felt bad about what he was doing, so he left little hints so that you could figure out that it was fake. He he goes. No, hang on. Uh, The president of MGM at the time in 1968 stated that he never saw a rough cut of 2001: A Space Odyssey during the entire four years of production. Does that sound like a manner in which a head of a major studio would make a movie, one of the most expensive (laughs) films ever made? When he's making with Stanley Kubrick, yes. Yes, (laughs) like what you're failing to realize here is what a fucking nut job Stanley Kubrick is. I'm sure that 2001 A Space Odyssey is the only film in MGM history where the executives who funded the movie never scrutinized the film. Why? Because MGM didn't fund the film. The U.S. government did. Oh, my God. Shut up. Yes. In the film Wag the Dog, Dustin Hoffman plays a movie producer hired by the CIA to fake an event. His name in the movie is Stanley. In that movie, Stanley mysteriously dies after telling everybody he wants to take credit for the event he helped fake. Stanley Kubrick died soon after Eyes Wide Shut, which was the which executive was the moon landing. rumored that they were upset concerning that film. They wanted him to re-edit it, but he did not. Because it was a garbage movie that yeah, needed editing. Uh, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I'm a doctor. Okay, so, I'm sorry. Okay. Is this still the same? This is me quoting from Jay Widener's two websites okay, Jay, about this. Okay, Jay Widener is Jay the one. Jay Widener who, is the one who's okay, saying Okay, that's what things. I'm saying. You can hear me when I come out. Right. But most of this No, is but Jay. I just wanted to make sure that it was yes. the same dude this that's saying all the same guy. Eyes, they, I, I no, and I were dating when Eyes Wide Shut came out. Uh, so Eyes Wide Shut, they refused. Garbage movie. He recut it, and no one will release a DVD of his cut because what was cut out. Ooh. And also, here's your conclusive proof. Are you ready? Yes. Eyes Wide Shut was released on July 16th, 1999. He insisted that that be the date. Stanley Kubrick said, you have to release it July 16th, 1999, 30 years after the day that Apollo was 11. Exactly. Man. Oh. You know what's really damning is is the scene they cut out where uh, uh, Tom Cruise fakes the moon landing <laughs> in the middle of that I movie. Just, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman could not convincingly fake having smoked pot i cannot believe that they (laughs) like at the time i saw this they hid their pot in an old tin band-aid box Mm -hmm. which we remember from our youth right i was like there hasn't been a tin band-aid box since the 70s tin band-aid box and it's like if you're hiding pot from your kids in a band-aid box you're hiding it wrong because <laughs> kids will open band-aid kids boxes. will run directly to the band they couldn't ugh. Yes. anyway episode 45 are you exhausted shit. yet get yourself some tang and some free desired ice cream because we ain't done oh shit okay uh 
few quotes from Jay because I feel like getting his tone of voice is crucial, but I've extensively edited because he goes on and on. Kubrick threw out so much of the Stephen King source material and replaced it with things that don't make sense when he started making The Shining because uh, you will see that The Shining, the movie of The Shining was Stanley Kubrick's confession of having deceived America by faking the moon landings. Right. So here you go. It is important to understand that Jack and Danny from The Shining are two aspects of Stanley Kubrick himself. No, they're Jack is the practical guy who wants to be an artist. Stanley Kubrick has black hair just like him and is idiosyncratic <laughs> just like him. And he smokes Marlboros just like Stanley Kubrick. The only two men in America that smoke Marlboros. They never it's smoked true. Marlboro cigarettes and had right. black hair. It's true. The Danny side is Kubrick's youthful psychic thing that sees nobody else sees his artisticness. Mm-hmm. And Jack is the practical man who made the deal with the government to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <clears throat> It's such a boring conspiracy theory. Uh, no, we've we finally gotten to the best part. I'm sorry. Okay. The manager of the, in the initial meeting, when Jack meets with the manager of the Overlook, the Overlook the manager is wearing red, white, and blue. Mm-hmm. Everybody wears red, white, and blue for the first part of the film, if okay, you notice it. Yeah. Almost the entire first hour. The Overlook itself is America because it's built on the bones of natives. Um, and all the best people stayed here. Mm-hmm. It's impressive, but also kind of tacky. Okay. Jack is told that he will be given the freedom to create as long as he takes care of the hotel and helps maintain the image. Do you see? Do you understand? Jack is really Stanley Kubrick, who has been given, you must take care of America. We'll give you the freedom to do whatever you want in your future projects Uh if you take care of America right now by making us these fake moon landing films. Wow. The government does have the authority to give a person. Who Stanley Kubrick really is. Okay. Okay. The manager of the Overlook is interviewing Jack, and he has an embalmed eagle right behind his head. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. The eagle is a symbol of America, but it's also the eagle. The eagle has landed. Mm hmm. On the first day in the hotel, Danny has a vision of the previous caretaker's daughters, and he sees that they are twins. In the book, it's one girl, but in the movie, it's twins. Can you guess why? Gemini? Yes, the Gemini missions. Yes. Uh-huh. The, uh, the, previous, over, the previous overseer uh-huh. had, to, had killed his daughters because it didn't work. Okay. So the Gemini missions didn't work. Okay. So now we're here on the new missions. Okay. This is perfectly logical, okay? I'm listening. Yes. Intently. Okay, good. Jack, Danny, and Wendy also make Dick meet Dick Halloran, and Dick warns him to stay away from room 237. That's Scatman Crothers. Scatman Crothers. Uh-huh. Uh, they settle in. Jack's supposed to be writing his artistic freedom in exchange for maintaining the lie that this is the best hotel of them all. But Jack is not writing. He's throwing a tennis ball against the room where the typewriter sits. On the wall that's being hit by the tennis ball uh-huh. is a Native American painting that looks a lot like a ro- bunch of rockets about to be launched. It looks a lot like uh, it. So it does. <laughs> and yes, it kind of does. But I also have seen other like Southwestern desert. <laughs> yeah. And that's like the style. If you read Arrow to the Sun, they also look like rockets. <laughs> right. But that's not here. A cold winter storm now blows over the hotel. This is the Cold War between Russia and the United States. Mm. It is necessary to hide our advanced saucer technology, and we are living in a dangerous place. Uh huh. Duh. Okay. The reason for all the bears that are seen all over The Shining is the Russian <laughs> it's bears. It's Russia. It's right, Russia. Right, right, right. They have to fake the moon landings and cover up the real truth behind uh, the U.S. government. Actually, has created. Uh, 
flying saucer since World War II. Okay. At one point, Danny's riding his bike, uh, his... His, his big wheel. His big wheel. And the twin daughters that are, come play with us. Uh-huh. Come play with us. Okay, this is the most important part. I'm ready. We graphically discovered the nature of the deal that Jack really cut with the manager of the Overlook. Okay. Danny is in the hallway playing with his trucks. Mm-hmm. Out of nowhere, uh, the there's a tennis ball rolls uh-huh. out of nowhere up to the little boy. The mm-hmm. tennis ball that Jack ro- uh, rolled up at him. Mm-hmm. Mystified by where the ball came from, Danny stands up, and then you can finally see what's happening. Yes. As Danny stands up, he is wearing a sweater with a <laughs> rocket on the front <laughs> yeah. that says Apollo 11. Oh, The my audience God. literally watches la- Apollo 11 launch, launch symbolically from the r- carpet, but it's not real. It's a symbolic because it's not real. Okay. Uh, well, I hope I'm not alone. But in I'm saying that this is totally real right now. <laughs> Jay Widener's psyche unraveling before us. Uh, Danny is indeed wearing a hand knit sweater with a rocket that says Apollo 11. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Because it's the 70s. Yeah, and who knows? Like it was exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. For everyone, right. especially children. So now Danny goes down the hall to room 237, the room that Holleran told him to avoid. Uh huh. In the book, it was 217. Oh. And in the movie, it's 237. Do you know why? Um, because of Apollo Russia. 37. Uh, because the Earth is 237,000 miles from the moon. And so 237 is supposed to make you think of that, which I knew you did. Of as course. soon as the small child actor walked up, you thought that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought there was going to be some fucking rockets in that, in, uh, in that room. Good question. That just seems weird. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Room 237 represents the fake lunar set that he had to create to make lunar landings appear factual. Okay. But on the set and in this room, nothing is real because every time he goes in, everybody who goes in sees like the dead woman in the bathtub. And okay, I was like gonna that. say, is that the dead woman? That's in the, the dead woman in the bathtub. But room. It, but I I mean like I read the book once. Is uh-huh. it one like everybody who goes into that room sees something, see something weird? Yeah, different and terrible. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nothing real ever happens in room two thirty seven, mm-hmm. which is the same uh, distance that the moon is. So you will know oh. when you see this that everything that happened on the moon wasn't real. Gotcha. Kubrick told the press that he changed the room from 217 to 237 because the owners of the hotel that he was filming in said they didn't want everybody like fucking trying to get in that room. <laughs> or not. Or not. Uh-huh. Uh, that's legit. Yeah. Right. But I, Jay, called the Timberline Hotel in Mount Hood, Oregon and asked if I could have a reservation for room t- 237. And they said yes. And I asked if the room was the part of a newer resort. They said no. They'd always had this room. So clearly that was a lie. Checkmate America. Isn't the hotel in Colorado? Yes. (laughs) 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 So then Jack goes to the bar and stressed and says that he would sell his soul for a drink. Mm -hmm. The manager, ghost manager, pops out and seduces Jack with that drink. Well, there's some gay shit that happens in the bar, as Uh, we all know. Well, you know, this is him being seduced. This is Stanley Kubrick being seduced by the government and accepting what he really wants. In order to do this for them. Wow. Uh-huh. This is so complicated. It is. It's like, it would be much easier to believe that we just went to the moon. <laughs> I know. Like, that's the other thing about, you know, like, investigating conspiracy theories. It's like, I can't go down all these fucking ridiculous rabbit because holes. Because it's par- also easier, like, Occam's razor this shit and be like, no, we just kind of went to the moon. Right. Also, okay, so now... After all of this, Jack starts physically going to hell. Right. He stops taking care of himself. He grows an unkempt beard and doesn't comb his hair. That's Do you know, ultimate, Stanley Kubrick. 
unkempt beard, not combing his hair. Frightening. Yes. Jack Nicholson is looking a lot like Stanley Kubrick. He, Stanley Kubrick looked very different at the be- beginning of the filming of 2001 A Space Odyssey. He did. And at the end, he was a little more raggedy looking. Right, because Proof. it was the early 60s and then the late 60s. Uh, and guys grew out their hair, whether it looked good or not. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Okay. So Wendy, who is reality Kubrick's wife, Christina, wants to read the book that Jack is working on. Mm-hmm. She asks to see what he's writing. Jack says no and tells her to stay out. It is clear that Jack... Uh, Wendy, Kubrick's wife, is not allowed to know anything about this. But what is Jack writing? She finds out the book, uh, and we find the foolproof positive that The Shining is his confession. Okay. Because he's r- typing all the pages that all say, <laughs> all, all work, work and no, no play, play makes, makes Jack, Jack a dull no boy. boy. Or is it all? Or is it A11, mm. as in Apollo 11? <laughs> All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. A11 work makes Jack a dull boy. Apollo 11 work makes Stanley Kubrick a dull boy because he's had to work so hard on the moon landing that it just... That it says Jack. Yes. Not Stanley Kubrick. God, this this paper would like come back from the the teacher with a note on it that says... See me after class. (laughs) Not if it's a creative writing class. Uh, <laughs> it was a creative writing. If it was a creative writing class, it would have a note be like, "I don't know about this." Yes. yes. So yeah, it's clear from the evidence presented in the film that Obs. Kubrick's <laughs> wife discovered that Stanley made a secret deal with the government, and so that's reflected Shelley finding the thing. Instead of making a science fiction film, two thousand one, her husband was actually working to create the fake Apollo eleven. Mm. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Uh, Halloran was killed in the movie, but he wasn't in the book, representing people that also had to die to keep the secret safe. That's true. Uh-huh. It's also the history of NASA. <laughs> oh, there's a tiny bit in the kitchen where you see a stack of six crates of seven up, and this represents how there were seven Apollo missions, but only six landed on the moon. Okay. And well, that's some nice, like, what is it, uh, retroactive continuity? Retroactive continuity. There. Like, okay, uh-huh. there you go. Yes. Uh, Jay ends his piece. I present this tidbit of information to show not only that Stanley Kubrick directed the Apollo moon landings, but also to ask NASA to release all of his Apollo moon landing footage in its original glorious 70 millimeter films. I ask NASA to release the footage with the faked Apollo moon landings. Uh, they did not. But <laughs> Hollywood did make a film based on the idea of the moon landing hoax. And thanks to the magic of the internet, Dad and I got to watch Capricorn One. Yeah. Oh, my God. This was made in 1977 and is a veritable night of a thousand stars. Please tell me. Brenda Vaccaro. Nat. Hal Holbrook. Oh, yes. Sam Waterston before he was on the cop show. Whoa. Current and former Mr. Barbara Streisand's Elliot Gould and James Brolin. Both. Oh. And... Oh, Jay Simpson! Yay! Oh, wow. The film begins with a realistic and extremely long scene of astronauts boarding a rocket, which counts down for a lift for the first manned flight to Mars. Mm, okay. Remember when one scene in a movie would last from up to half an hour? Good yes. times. Good time. And OJ Simpson yeah. was there. Oh, yeah. So just at the last moment, dudes come from mission control and whisk the astronauts out of the capsule. There's okay. been last minute concerns about Ooh, safety. secret. And the mission has been scrapped. But since the whole space project Space program is iffy. They they can't let people know. Right. So they take the dudes <laughs> off and let the mo- rocket blast off anyway. 
Brolin, Waterston, and Juice are flown hours away <laughs> to a government briefing room, which has a lot of large ashtrays. <laughs> yes, it does. Because if there's one thing the Apollo missions are about, it's, it's cigarettes. Absolutely. They meet Hal Holbrook, who greets them with an extremely unconvincing, they, well, well, if it ain't Captain Terrific and the Mad Doctor. They meet Hal Holbrook, and he goes into a whole Mark Twain. <laughs> he starts pretending to be Mark Twain. So <laughs> O.J. Simpson is like, man, I gotta go. Exactly. Hal Holbrook <laughs> proceeds to explain to them what I said above about how we can't let them know we failed, so y'all have to pretend. Okay. Waterston gives a speech about this being wasteful. What about cancer? What about the slums? True, true, yes. all true. But after a what threat the that the government slums? will blow up a commercial jet if the astronauts don't comply. <laughs> the, wait, who said that? Hal Holbrook says the government... Hal Holbrook will blow up. Well, he says the government will blow up a commercial jet if y'all don't do this. I mean, this is like Mark Twain on a raft with a sticker hey, missile. look, like, they have to make it look convincing. None of these flyboys have regulation hair, and they all kind of look like NASCAR drivers, but that's just my thought. Yeah. We cut to the president making a speech about this momentous occasion to humankind. We flash to Houston and see some computers. Yay! <laughs> we see the astronauts descending a ladder with lights and fanfare until the camera pulls back and we see they're on kind of a rinky-dink set with uh, red dirt on the floor and the spaceship the size of a lunar lander. Remember okay. that? Yes. James Brolin is the patriot and gives lots of speeches about how he doesn't want to claim false glory for something he didn't do. Stolen valor! He is emoting for all he is worth. How? <laughs> all that James Brolin is worth of emoting, which isn't very much. Which, not a ton, <laughs> It's no. not a lot. <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? No, right. <laughs> Correct. P.W. Waterston is perpetually bemused, wondering maybe if he could be on a TV show about policemen. <laughs> and O.J. has so few lines that I was shocked to learn that this was both after Roots and The Towering Inferno. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. What the hell? At one point, Brenda Vaccaro reads her son James Brolin, her son's essay, James Brolin's her husband, reads her son's essay about how his dad is working hard for all mankind. James Brolin's stony facade almost cracks, but no. Then we learn that the mission is almost over and they're about to return to Earth after 259 days in that tiny little lander. <laughs> okay. Where I guess one person sleeps, one person eats a protein pill, and the other manufactures oxygen. I don't know. There's not room for the three of them to sit three abreast, but now we have to believe they've been living there for most of a okay, year. Okay, but the thing is, in actual space pods, all three of them can sit down. <laughs> yeah, well. Those are fake. Now they're home and ready for their ticker tape parade. But once again, the guys are taken to another briefing room and locked in. But fortunately, there's an ashtray for each of them. That, each of them. <laughs> Thank God. Roland takes his St. I brought 30,000 cigarettes back from space. <laughs> That's right. Well, we still have some. Most of the lunar landing was, module was taken up with that. That's true. That's true. Brolin takes his St. Christopher medal and MacGyvers them out of the ashtray room before they can be loaded into a plane for cinema's least convincing air disaster. <laughs> uh, OJ stumbles through the desert looking more and more like Screaming Jay Hawkins with every passing moment. <laughs> and whispering like shredded slacks at the bottom. Uh-huh, and like dust all over his face. Uh, he keeps murmuring things like, there's no water, I want to die. <laughs> Waterspin spends a really long scene climbing up a cliff and telling himself a joke. 
Like a long scene. Like a long scene. <laughs> He's just trying to get through it. James Brolin fights and eats a rattlesnake and looks sad about it the whole time. That's funny that rattlesnakes are in any desert. Get Oh, there's a biplane <laughs> helicopter chase featuring Telly Savalas who yes! keeps calling people yes. perverts. Yes. Dad was openly guffawing <laughs> at the flight sequences. <laughs> And we both laughed about how NASA is in Houston and these guys are in the rocks around El Paso but managed to walk back to Mission Control in a day. No shit. This, I, here you go, hang on. No, they're in the rocks outside Los Angeles. This is a, From El Paso to Houston is 746 miles. Yes. Wow. For anybody in the Isle of Man who might be unfamiliar with Texas geography. Texas is really big. And then just for fun, I looked up. The Isle of Man is 220 square miles in land area, and Texas is 268,597 uh, square miles, which means that 1,200 Isles of Man will fit in the state uh. of Texas. <laughs> Elliot Gould is a journalist out to bust this story wide open. Hot shit. He ultimately Chest does. hair international. Yes. With some help from the not nearly sunburned enough astronauts who show up at their own funerals. I do not know why Joel and the bots didn't give this one a try. Oh, man. But this God. is all conclusive proof that America never landed on the moon. Stanley Kubrick duped us all and then confessed in, in The, the Shining. Shining. Uh, Stefan Curry, the basketball player, did not. Steph be- Curry. Steph Curry didn't believe until astronaut Scott Kelly called and said, "No, dude, we went to the moon." Okay. Oh my god. Yes. Wow. And Scott Kelly was the one that was like he he was like in Zero Gravity and he would sing David Bowie songs. <laughs> yes. Well, yes. and he let Stefan Curry know that. Indeed. Jesus. And if you are not convinced about any of this, watch the MythBusters episode where they bust all of the myths also use your common sense because we Just correct for god's sake i understand and it is not a lie that the u.s would have done anything to beat the soviets yes. at that time including yes. lie to their public however however <laughs> that is far too complicated a lie yeah this is yeah we're gonna this- have to once again occam's razor this shit and be like it would easy be easier to go to the moon Right. Then to get somebody to fake it and then lie about it and All then right. confess it in the so, shining. So, Amanda, yes. at the end of this show, are we digging for treasure? Dude, I'm going to go watch The Shining. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! Yeah. Is there life on my... I do recommend that... Uh, Capricorn One is a really awesome film if you're in the movie. Meanwhile, we're still hanging out with Ricky Williams. We are hanging out with Ricky Williams because it's boss. Ready? And if you're hanging out with us, we love you. We do love you. Yay. See you again next week. Okay. Bye. Madness Madness is hosted by Aaron Byrne and Amanda Clay with occasional outbursts from Brian Byrne, who is me. Brian Byrne records and edits the show. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Please, if you enjoy the show, uh, rate us and leave a review. Leaving reviews helps people find the show. And the more people listen to the show, the more people you'll have to talk about the show with. I mean, just mull that over. You can also listen to us online at madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can find links to our social media on madnessmadnesspodcast.com. You can email us your thoughts about stuff at madnessmadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>